You are listening to The Picard. This is a podcast all about Star Trek Picard, the amazing show that we are all loving so much. Uh, and uh, we're here today to talk about episode eight. Hattie, is it eight? I think eight? it's eight, right, eight? So that's the voice of Hattie Cook. And then Keith Ruck is, uh, is here too. Hi, Keith. Hi. Well, I'm not there, but you're I'm not here. there. But I mean, you're here with you're here in spirit. <laughs> you're here and on your the vo- show. Your voice is in my ears, and that's what counts. <laughs> so w- this episode, I feel like Keith, and y- and you were telling us before we started that your uh, your recap is an intense recap because a lot happened in this episode. Too much. I think we're going to need to split this show up into 10 parts <laughs> or all or of which two, are, yeah because it's crazy the, but before we do had, the, go the ahead bad. no please no, I said that, that crossed my mind but i'm like there there are things that plot points we need to hit and maybe some like small things we don't need to hit so i'm going to try and right. stay concise this time because otherwise this would be a four-hour podcast right yeah, no we i can't, agree we can't do that um now uh, I do have some feedback that I would like to read, and I, I would like to emphasize: we love hearing. We sure do. What our listeners think and sh- want to, we want to hear it. The best way to do it is to go to Picard.fireside.fm and click the contact link and uh, type type whatever you want to say right there. We'll get it, and if it's uh, amazing, we'll read it on the show. And um, and that's really the best way to submit stuff. If it's stuff not amazing, we'll also read we'll it on the show. We'll still read it on the show. And you can <laughs> send us an email, Picard at 5x5.tv, if you just don't want to use, you don't, maybe you don't use the web. Yeah. That's fine. Anti-computer. So, should we do some of the feedback? I think, think so. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so, this one here. Uh, hi, Hattie, Keith, and Dan. I saw Jack Dorsey in the news yesterday. Got me wondering. And so this person is <gasps> included a photograph. If they're of, going to say the same thing that of, I think uh, of uh, of Narek and yes, Jack Dorsey. This if, is what I've been th- saying for days and weeks. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll use this as our show art so that the listeners so. at home can appreciate this. So it'll be the cover art for the show. But if you're if you're playing along, listening live, uh, or if you're at, uh, safely ensconced in your own home during the COVID nineteen outbreak. Uh, just Google a picture of Jack Dorsey, twenty nineteen, and then Narek, yeah. and uh, so the uh, the the Keith, person. Are writing, you seeing this? No, I have okay. no idea what you're talking about. Look, look it here, up. Here, look here, at a I'll picture of Jack Dorsey you, and um, Narek, and the person that continues. Oh, it's Sean is the person's name. Says so. It's possible that there's an alien behind Twitter. I know for sure. There's one in charge at Facebook. Ha ha. About the show, the gaslighting is beginning to feel a little too too familiar. Are the synths the real threat, or did the Romulans frame them for the destruction of Mars? Was Dodge really attacked in her apartment? Did she really explode on the steps of Starfleet archives? Fake news. There's no proof of any of that. Did O share a true vision of the future with Gerardi? Who can say? Is COVID-19 a lethal threat or is it just like the regular flu? LOL, haha, cough, cough. All joking aside, the difficulty um, U.S. society currently has coming to an agreement about what's true in the world is ominous. Things get seriously bad if we all can't if we can't all agree that there are four lights by sunrise on Wednesday, <laughs> November 4th. I wonder if the Picard authors set out to surf on that uh, wave of distrust and authority and order when they came up with this plot or maybe it was just a zeitgeist thing perhaps we'll see a little of this doubt thrown at rafi what was the cake she served gerardi did she poison her i'll be frustrated if they linger on that just ask the friggin emh what he saw screw privacy hippa schmippa (laughs) 
I'm curious and nervous about what kind of cliffhanger they'll conjure to end the season. They can't wrap up things too neatly since the tentacles of the conspiracy run deep. On the other hand, they have to reach a sufficiently satisfying milestone in case this is where the series ends. Keep up the great conversation, Sean. Sean's written in before, hasn't he? Probably. We get a lot of uh, like listeners who... We got Karen, we yeah. got Sean now. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Keith, do you see the image that I just sent you? I do see it. They look very similar. Very. He's he's definitely channeling some some Narek sure. for sure. Okay, so now Nicole has written in. Hi, Nicole. Oh, wait, I want to say something to Sean. Oh, go ahead. Sean, there are so many resources out there for free, you know, like mental screenings for anxiety medication. <laughs> I'm on anxiety medication. Uh, maybe, maybe just look into it because you seem a little scattered, buddy. He'll be all right. Yeah. He'll be fine. He's just a little He just worried. needs some de- decaf or old gray and he'll be okay. He needs definitely decaf for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No caffeine for you. Nicole uh, <laughs> says, loving the podcast. I just binged it all at work to keep my sanity. Hattie. Damn. Hattie, I can't tell you how happy it makes me to hear a girl talking Trek rock on. Oh, thanks. And uh, I did. I did read this email to Hattie before yes, the show. You did. <laughs> and you said you said, what did you say? You said, I think a lot of women are interested in Star Trek. No, I was thinking like, you know, she it's almost as if she seems slightly surprised. And then I was thinking, what would possibly keep other women from watching Star Trek or what wouldn't draw them in. I don't know. I love it. I mean, I don't know, but I'm weird sometimes. So uh, who knows? Yeah, we're all a little <laughs> bit weird, but I, I think, you know, I think her point was not only is it great that you're watching, but that right. I'm you're, talking about it. you're talking about it. And I, I think that, um, for whatever reason, I've listened to a lot of Star Trek related podcasts. Yeah, there's it just always not a lot seems of like it's uh, yeah. Like there's just a lot of dudes on there talking about it, but there's a lot of women who love the show. I know. You you do. I just want to go on record. People don't know this about Heidi. She does have a picture. This is true of Patrick Stewart and framed on her desk. What? It's true. Uh huh. I have not so, noticed that. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, Nicole continues. You guys inspired me to start rewatching all of Picard again, and I noticed that Soji. We're going to get a lot about this, Keith. Soji does a data head tilt at tw- twenty-two <laughs> minutes and twenty seconds in absolute candor, right before the rom-com skating scene. It's very subtle, but it's there, and makes me feel so much better about that blatantly obvious one in Nepenthe. You know what? I was I th- wrong, Keith. That drove me nuts too. You're not alone. Uh, and to answer your kind of question, it was called Phaleron radiation in Nemesis, and it was the plasma ah. coolant tanks in First Contact. They are two separate things that destroy organic matter. I'm not sure if I should be proud or slightly disturbed. That information came to me instantly when I heard the podcast. <laughs> LOL. Keep up the good work. Thanks for writing in, Nicole. Well, I think... Um, Phaleron radiation, by the way. Oh, yes. Did I say it wrong? Yep. <laughs> I think the... How'd I, th- I say it, Keith? <laughs> you said th- Thaleron? It's Thaleron. That's the same That's word. The same word. <laughs> no. You rewind it. You know what, it, you know what I'm saying. I, okay. Keep going. Okay. Uh, this is an email from... Uh, from uh, let's see if they want me to use their name. Well, one thing I was going to say about what Nicole was talking about, uh. the, the head tilt. I feel like they almost... They're like, we need 
Riker to notice the head tilt, but we can't have that be the first time. Let's just throw one in before. I think that's, sure. I really think that because we have, she hasn't done it since or before. So right. I think that was Maybe more that like was a, the first time that she was, because Data didn't do it all the time either. He only right. did it once in a while. And it seemed like he did it when he was presented with a circumstance he didn't curious. understand. He's right. curious about. Uh-huh. And so maybe that was just the first time we saw Soji being curious and about something. And she was learning more about who she was. Right. So maybe, I, I don't know, but. Theory. Okay, so I'm just going to out this person on the because they don't say don't call. So if you don't want me to use your name, say, you get it. The not. first line of the email has to be don't use my name or call me Frank or whatever. You could le- use the first letter of their name. Eric. Okay. <laughs> the first letter of their name <laughs> is, is Eric. Eric. <laughs> like three sommeliers got. Did I read this one last week? Like, no. no. Like three sommeliers guiding diners through a fine meal. The Picard pairs brilliantly with the newest Star Trek show. <laughs> Thank you for your service. You said you wanted mail, so I thought I would share a, well, thought. You discussed how Troy looked crestfallen as she absorbed the emotions pouring out of Picard on Nepenthe. The word perfectly describes the look on her face. What a performance. One thing I don't believe you mentioned and what I believe to be Troy's most troubling realization was Picard's struggle against the degenerative brain disease, Eremotic Syndrome. Am I saying nice. that right, Keith? You are. You got that one. All now. right. I got that one. And I, I will be putting a link to uh, that syndrome in the show notes. But for those who have forgotten or didn't know, uh, it is a medical condition, a disease that affects the brain, making the patient suffer erratic behavior, delusions, loss of memory and other similar symptoms. And this is I should say it's a fictional disease right, right. that exists in uh, in the future world of Star Trek. And it seems to be rare even in the fictional fictional world. Yes. And um and let's see. Uh here is another one that came in um from Sandy. Hola. I missed get and the subject is Commodore Oh no she didn't. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> uh, I missed getting this catchy subject line to you before you recorded the last podcast, but I thought it was so cute. I tweeted it to the three of you, knowing full well Uncle Dan says it's a no-no to tweet your po- for your podcast <laughs> communications. I'm still gutted about Hugh, and Elnor left back on the cube, and I have to tell you the only thing that's getting me through all the feels of the previous episode seven is your podcast and watching Will Wheaton on the Ready Room After Show. Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner were on the last one and they gushed over him as much as he over them in the show. So great to know the actors in the show are also such fans of the show. Tell Keith I'm with him on the bunny corn. I think it's also my baby Yoda too. I'm going to make a few stuffed animal versions of it. If you can have Keith privately send me a shipping address, one will be on the way to him ASAP. Thanks for all you do. Glad I get to watch the show with the three of you. Oh, and I guess with my husband too. (laughs) Live long and prosper, Sandy. Sandy, I've got to say, you can't send one to to Keith and not to my son who's obsessed with the show as well. Or me who needs more stuffed animals for her bed. We're going to have to, (laughs) Sandy, we're going to have to send you some cash and put in an order here because, uh, so Sandy, yes, the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. Please make these and we'll buy them or whatever you want. Uh, Let us know. You can send Keith his for free yes but i'll buy the rest of them uh so uh sandy uh will reply with some info for yes. you i and, am um, and so I f- happy that yes. you guys are not in the same room with me so you cannot see the tears running down my face <laughs> and how excited i am to have a bunnicorn bunnicorn it's uh it's pretty good what if it had like removable um venom sacks in, in the stuffed animal, you know? <laughs> so uh, Justin writes and says, Hi, this episode triggered me. I had to say something. 
I think it's hilarious that Keith finds eating a tomato on its own such a weird thing to do. <laughs> yep. My guess, he's never had a proper greenhouse grown, perfectly ripe tomato straight off the vine and has only experienced those sad, pathetic items that are often found in the supermarket that have been artificially gassed to look ripe. Talk about only ever having eaten replicator food. I was about to say. <laughs> or maybe he just doesn't like tomatoes. Love the podcast. Cheers, Justin. <laughs> you know, uh, he, Justin's got a point. I have never had a fresh grown off the vine tomato. Also, I'm not the biggest tomato fan in general. So yeah. I, I could absolutely have been in folly. And I apologize to you, Justin. And the last email here is going to uh, lead or segue beautifully into... Um, into my uh, statement last week in our disagreement that oh uh, your 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 poll yes that um, that Hugh had it worse than Worf as far <laughs> as Star Trek so <laughs> if you'll remember we had a discussion in the last episode and I a heated discussion a heated discussion <laughs> and Keith it was it was uh, your opinion that Worf had it worse of all in the. Uh, in in the st- of of all the main characters, or not even main characters, characters, just between the two of them, it is my factual opinion. Correct. And I said, "You're crazy. It's Hugh." And so, uh, Karen, Karen, of course, Karen. where's our bill? Karen, Karen. Karen. <laughs> she says, uh, "Hugh had it worse." Is the subject line? So listen to this. Sorry, Hugh had the worst life by a thou- by ten thousand times than Worf. He <sighs> was assimilated, then regained his individuality and returned to the Borg. Was stuck on a cube with a bunch of disconnected Borg who were traumatized, shutting down, confused, and in total chaos. Then they were picked up by Data's psychotic brother and watched all his cube mates experimented on, who either died or were so messed up they were just sitting there clicking. He saves Picard, who then thanks him and says, "Well, I think you can handle this," and takes off, leaving these Borg once again on their own with no guidance. Now he gets to watch all the people he was trying to help his XBs get slaughtered by the psychotic Romulan and then get then Im- gets impaled in the neck. I mean, come on. How is Worf's life worse than that? <laughs> Signed, your local curmudgeon Karen. And I put this to, out to the internet and I let the internet decide. On March 5th, I posted a poll and I said, who has the worst life in, worse, a worse life in Star Trek? Hugh the X-Borg or Worf? We had 110 votes and the results are in. Hugh, the ex-Borg, wins 69.1%. Worf, a mere 30.9%. Mm. So Okay, that's pretty close. Uh, there's no accounting <laughs> for taste. And Karen, uh, you have made an enemy of me today. Oh, oh no. no. Karen, I'm no longer a Karen fan. I'm the most Karen fan there is. I know you Except are. Except for me. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that is absurd. I'm not going to go through Worf's entire story again, but I will say... No, nothing on that list compares to the garbage life that Worf has had. I will say Worf did have a very hard life. Yeah. Very hard. Yes. Also, Keith, just saying, hmm. I don't think I could eat a tomato like that nowadays. That Thank was you. a, I'm glad. yeah, I can't do it now. And did I say Me that either. it was episode eight? It was episode nine. Really? We only have one episode left? No, it was episode. Eight, eight. That was eight. That was eight. That was eight. Of course it was eight. Yeah. Seven was the Unibunny. So that yeah. we just watched episode eight. We now have nine and 10 left and that's it. Correct. Okay, yep. good. But there are only eight episodes. So right, technically right. So, we're done anyway. <laughs> right. Look, the end. Everyone makes mistakes. Boy, this is really crap on Keith day. I like it. Oh, let's keep this going. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say some positive things now. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it. I know we don't like uh, pointing out tweets and we shouldn't, but I am going to point out a tweet much to Dan's dismay. 
is that when we posted episode seven, someone responded on Twitter. Uh, one, there's never enough Hattie Bird in your podcasts. <laughs> two, this Keith Ruckus guy is fun to listen to. And three, I love this podcast. Nice. And those were important to know. Uh, all right. And we have two new reviews. Yay. And I'm going to read them both. Uh, they're both short and sweet. Uh, first from Friday from Chatticus. Chatticus writes, <laughs> looking forward to this show every week. <clears throat> Five stars. I will be very sad when Picard season one is over, not because I love the TV show, but because this podcast will be over at least until season two. Keith brings the insight and the curse words. Hattie brings the jokes and the ideas and Dan, the great questions. It's a wonderful companion to the show that I love. Yay. So nice. Thank you. And we are, I just want to add, we are working on ideas for what to do after this. Before, exactly, so right. We, we'll, we'll stick around. we got to watch more TV. Yeah, we get, we're watching TV. <laughs> Agreed, yeah. I mean, especially if we're all going to be indoors for the next Exactly, right. I think we'll have months. to, yeah. Uh, uh, this one comes uh, on Wednesday from Clay Inferno, uh, just called The Picard with five stars. Dan, Hattie, and Keith, spelled wrong. Have an entertaining and informative, informative take on Picard here. Love the recaps and crazy theories. It has been so long since TNG that I don't remember all the Easter eggs pointed out in the show. This is the this and greatest discovery are my North Star navigating my way through this great new trek. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How do you misspell Keith? Uh, Kaith, K I E T H. Uh, the little I E throw him off. Yeah, a little Kaith. Kaith. Which is my Klingon name. I was gonna say that sounds very. Yeah. <laughs> Right, Trekish. I mean, we uh, yeah, we, there, there's other TV shows. We'll keep, we'll, we'll figure something. But I, out. One, one of the things that I really like about the way this show is, hmm. and this is something that you know, all all of us who 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 grew up before the days of Netflix, so not my kids, but you or know, DVRs even. Yeah, we were all very used to watching shows one episode a week and waiting a week for the next one. And that's what you talk about it like around the water cooler the next day at work. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, did you see that? Exactly. And I think that it's it's it makes for much interesting, much more interesting podcasts when everyone's in the same boat because you're like, oh, I watched the episode. There's nothing else to watch for another week and about we this. So let's same, talk about and it. And like everyone has their chance to form a theory without being influenced by yeah. other things or it's yeah. not as much fun to do a podcast about a show a bingeable show that's bingeable because yeah. then you know you're gonna watch a second episode or six in a row right <laughs> did you Spot say you had on. one more keith no that's it that was okay. two all right all right you guys ready for the recap so ready. i think so i think episode so episode eight here we go we are opening up on a planet in a system that with what looks like Maybe has too many stars. <laughs> we we get a narration that then turns into a speech from Commodore O on a planet wearing a robe and a very religious looking kind of ceremony. She is saying that the four mothers came to this system to figure out the riddle of the eightfold stars and instead found a planet that had preserved memories from a different species. We learn uh, from the the words on the bottom that the planet is called AIA, the grief planet, and we are 14 years in the past. Uh, When we are on the planet, it looks like a desert scape, except for this religious ceremony of all women in black robes with phasers on their belts standing around what looks kind of like a holographic table or like a laser table. Mm -hmm. And to me, it looks a lot like the thing you get in a pizza that looks like a little Barbie table. Yeah. 
Yeah. But maybe with extra legs. <laughs> the pizza separator. And a little yeah. bit more high tech. A little bit more high just tech. Just a little. That was my first thought is I, maybe I was also just hungry. I should have had a pizza. That's uh, true. And some, and some kind of ceremony with these Romulan women. Um, we find out that they are new recruits of the Javash. And O is conducting this ceremony. And we see that two of the women are Rizzo and Ramda. Rizzo being the, the Romulan spy who was in Starfleet but is now trying to have sex with her brother, Narek. And Ramda <laughs> is the, um, the... The redhead. The, the, the crazy one. That yeah. was playing with the tarot Romulan. cards. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> I also want to point out that I did not think that Romulans were long-lived the way that Vulcans were. But no one seems to have aged in 14 years. I wasn't, I didn't think about that until you just said this is 14 years in the past. And I was like, I don't remember her looking like super young or anything. Yeah, <laughs> Rizzo looks exactly the, exactly same. the same. And Rhonda yeah. looks exactly the same. Oh, looks exactly the same. So I have to imagine. Now they've done this where Picard looks the same, but you know, old is old. Right. So, well, uh, I, I, I actually looked this up. Um, oh, oh, yes. Because I wanted to, I wanted to know if the, uh, you know what? What? What the Romulan lifespan actually was? Um, sure. And it says on the you know how there's the wiki that is dedicated just to Star Trek Memory Alpha. Memory Alpha. Um, on that it says that the average lifespan is two hundred years. Oh, okay, so like okay. fourteen years is like a year, kind of. Right. So it's it's realistic to think that they wouldn't have shown that much age over a 14 year. I actually look younger than I did 14 years ago. So right. depending on their diet, maybe they're, maybe they're, they're paleo, improved, right? Maybe they're joined a gym. <laughs> we don't know what they've done in they're the 14 using, years. Uh, you know, CBD face wash or something. That's right. Who knows? So uh, yeah, they might've had a little Work plastic done. surgery. I'm going to start done. calling you Dan Benjamin button. <laughs> I would love it. I love it. <laughs> So you but look you're younger every time I see you, but you're right. They, they, they don't show very much age, but no. you're having talked about the big thing yet. The big thing uh, with commander. O. that's that way later. That's way later, Dan. Look how but far down. I know, but she's there and you're like, you figured there's something weird going on with her being there and the fact that she's leading this and she's Jad Vash and all that stuff. But we kind of knew that. We kind of knew that. Yeah, she but now has. we know it. <laughs> truth bomb. Yeah. I think because there's a bigger truth bomb later, this one has been overshadowed for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not thinking literally, uh, literally in a literal manner. And then you are. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, they all grab the admonition, this, the pizza separating table made of lasers. And then they all, uh, and right, uh, also right before they do, O is referencing the destroyers. And that's the oh. first time that we have heard a plural of that word. We've always heard of the destroyer, but now we're hearing destroyers. Right. <clears throat> uh, they immediately get some form of psychic vision, similar to the mind meld that O uh, made Gerardi endure. Uh, death and destruction, but what looks like a humanoid robot morphing into the face of Commander Data. Which shocked the heck out of me. Yeah, yeah I saw that like too. That. I was like, ooh, creepy. I don't like that. Because why would something that is memories of a past race give you a vision of data? But neither here nor there. Uh, immediately, they all fall to the ground except for Rizzo and start having a very visceral, very uh, upsetting reaction to the admin- uh, admonition. Uh, uh, one of them pulls out her phaser and shoots herself in the head. 
Another smashes her head with a big rock until she's dead. One claws at her face until her green blood is flowing down. And Ramda starts pulling her hair out in chunks from behind her head. Mm. Oof. Yeah, it was a r- rough, rough start. Yeah. And meanwhile, Rizzo's like, <laughs> Rizzo's like, NBD, what? what are you talking she's about? She's like, I'm a little bummed, but you Rizzo know. I had a this. single tear. Right down her cheeks. Yeah. Thousand yard stare. O approaches Rizzo. She says immediately, "We must stop them." And O says that they will, and they will begin on a world the humans call Mars. Mm. Which I, uh, you know, which all but confirms that uh, O is the reason for the for the Mars synthetic attack. Right. Dun, back, dun, dun. On, back on the cube, <laughs> a present day Ramda is sitting in a medical bay and Rizzo is holding her hand and referring to her as Auntie. Mm-hmm. Yes, which uh, is, so, our, is a big reveal. Yeah. Yeah. So Ramda is Rizzo and Narek's aunt. And also, I thought Auntie was a little bit too colloquial of a term for a Romulan to use. Yeah. Well, but they're translating it to uh, right, the term sure. that we would use. But I, you know, being as how secretive and private and kind of in that way, kind of like Vulcanish, they can be in interpersonally. I, I can agree with that. Also, she has kind of a British accent. Maybe they're doing like a it's like a British Auntie. thing, you know. Auntie. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> Rizzo references that Ramda was never entirely sane, but that the uh, admonition really kind of pushed her over the edge. Uh, she says it was insane for her to take Narek and herself in after her parents' death, which is, again, Dan, to your point, like, yeah, like the interpersonal workings of Romulans are weird because it's almost like, why would you take us in? What was in it for you? That was right. really, a, right. you know, like stupid thing to do uh rizzo reveals or at least she thinks that the board cube has shut down because of assimilating ramda right i, I, I wrote that insane. down too it was like she broke the whole cube herself or something out of despair force of her despair yeah. yeah uh and i don't think that's true because of all the countless species that have been assimilated i have to assume there were plenty that had like psychic powers or mental issues that unless the species that did the admonishment is specifically linked to the creation of the Borg, there's no reason that Borg cube should have shut down because of the assimilation of Ramda. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was that special. <clears throat> yeah. You know, the other thing that's interesting about it is, are we supposed to assume that Ramda um, was... Okay, so she went through the admonition ceremony and pulled out her hair, went crazy. She didn't die. She didn't kill herself like the other ones did. Was she still in that crazy state of mind when and like on the ship when it wound up affecting the Borg cube? We don't know. We just or was she she like on a Talshiar vessel that Rizzo wasn't on? So so maybe she never recovered from that and was right. crazy the whole time and was like crazy on the ship that got uh-huh. attacked by the right. Borg. And, 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 and O says that right before the admonishment. Right. She says, you know, not everyone will survive this. And maybe right. it doesn't mean just shooting yourself. Maybe it does mean it drove you insane. Right. You know, and I wonder, like, what were the like, how many people were there? Were there like 10, 10 women there and two also, survived? Was... What? That's not a very good. Yeah, that's not good ratio. <laughs> no, not no. at all. And maybe that's why the Romulans take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. But why also the Tal Shiar aren't only women? Are is no, it? No, but the Jatvash might be. Oh, okay. That's what I was thinking. I we don't think know that, that, right? And I like think and, that and every sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the um 
the this is that that would be consistent with a theme in Romulan culture because and I've already forgotten the name of the group that were on that the planet Quat- that a lot. Quat- yes, yes that Elnor right, was part of they were all women right and so maybe there's like a theme yeah. and this kind of lines up with your favorite Hattie and Dune the um Quisart Satarak and the, oh, the, yes. the the women what's the name of the the women in the um, oh man I just blanked what is that called there are people literally shouting yeah, I in, know. At, at us right now. I'm going to look it up. Continue, yeah, continue, continue. Keith. Right. Uh, uh, my theory is that everyone that was on the planet was Tal Shiar, but people who endure and walk away from that ceremony become Jatvash. I like that idea. I like that. Because that's how they kept Jatvash a secret, because if you don't become a Jatvash, you're dead or you're insane. <laughs> right. right. So, like, and no one will believe no, you. Like, yeah, there's no like, ah, this isn't for me. And if you do endure, you immediately become a zealot because of this right, it's so intense. psychic thing that has happened to you. So that's my theory, is that they take female Tal Shiar officers and they become Javash. That's my theory. I like it. I like it. Rizzo jokes that she should have been the one that's assimil- uh, that had been assimilated, um, that she would have made a much better Borg, even goes so far as to, uh, with levity, say resistance is futile. Rizzo then reveals that she knows where the synthetic's nest is and that if Ramda wakes up, she can come with. But first, she has to shut down the Borg cube that she calls a house of horrors. It is called the Ben Gesserit Sisterhood. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Uh, she asks uh, her troops if they have found the freak yet, referring to Elnor, and that they uh, say they're hot on his tail, that he's like uh, in the office that Hugh originally had, uh, and then which makes sense why the Fenris Ranger calling card was there. Uh, right. He, they throw in a stun grenade and it blinds him momentarily, but he still manages to ninja his way out of it by killing many, many Romulans because he is a Coatmulot. Uh, and then right as he looks like he's about to be shot, Seven shows up and saves the day, uh, starts blasting Romulans, asks where Hugh is and what is happening on the cube. And Eleanor gives her a big, big hug. And which she <laughs> love it. seems uncomfortable at first, but then kind of has a little maternal instinct and right. hugs him back and says, it's okay. Credits. <laughs> and that's our opening. All that was just the opening. Right. right. So a lot, a lot just happened. A lot. All right, after the credits, we're now on the La Serena, uh, right after Soji and Picard are transported aboard from Nepenthe. Rios is looking at Soji, but he is singularly transfixed. He's not really hearing things in the background. He is just staring at her. Picard is asking for a secure subspace link uh, to Starfleet, but Rios in his tunnel vision is not acknowledging, so he's finally like, screaming, Rios, I need a subspace link. He definitely knows Soji from somewhere or is having some sort of allergic reaction to her. <laughs> right, something. <laughs> and the way they cut into that, I was a little confused, I have to be honest, by that scene because it didn't like it didn't set it up well. It just kind of cut to that and he's all yeah. weird, acting weird. Well, I'm like, what's going on? I think they wanted you to feel as out of it Disoriented as he as was. He was. Right. I, I think you're sure. right. Spot on. Uh, he, uh, Picard asks Rios what's the nearest star base which we learn is Deep Space 12 which is kind of interesting because uh, up until this moment we've really only known that the farthest Deep Space is Deep Space 9 All right. like the TV show so now we know that there are at least three more Deep Space star, uh, space stations uh, he tells Rios to go ahead lay in a course for Deep Space 12 Rios says I'll take you there but then you're on your own because he is very very upset 
Rafi uh, interrupts Picard and Soji, who are now walking to where Picard is going to try and find Soji a cabin, and states like, hey, I don't trust Soji. The last time you had an android, she was like a crazy murder bot. Like, how do we know we can trust her? And picks up a phaser and points it at Soji. Picard gets in between them, says, uh, if you're willing to use that, you better be willing to use it on me. Rafi gives him kind of like, like, shut up kind of look and then puts the phaser down. Right. Um, then she starts uh, going crazy. Rafi starts telling Picard, Jurati uh, had a tracking isotope in her blood. She must be a Romulan spy. Picard's like, is this fact or theory? And she's like, it's theory. Uh, but he's just like, done with her. He's like, I'm walking away from this. They're walking away from Rafi. Uh, and then she drops the bomb that uh, we think that Jurati killed Bruce Maddox. And he mm-hmm. says, who's we? Uh, and then we do see the EMH, and this is what everyone we said I last know. week. This is what the email said. Like, why isn't anybody asking the EMH? Exactly. What so, then the EMH is talking to Picard and Rafi. Uh, Soji's off in her quarters now, trying to take a nap, and the EMH is spilling the beans on what Gerardi did. Um, uh, and Rafi is reinstating her untrust of Soji, and Picard is trying to work out in his head why Gerardi would have killed uh, Bruce Maddox. The next scene, quick cut is on the holodeck slash Picard study where he's talking to Admiral Clancy, which I oh, think yeah. is a really cool. And they've, they've teased this in a couple different Star Trek properties. These, this like holographic um, communication technology where like you're talking to the person and they're in the room with you. Right. And they're probably sitting in a chair in their office, but it's transposed or whatever. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Right. And, and I, I like that call back to that. Uh, he's talking to Admiral Clancy, um, he's, he has just given her a full report of what's happening and he is like uncharacteristically shoving her face in it. Like you think <laughs> I'm exotic, you think I'm this crazy old man, you think this, that, and the other thing, but I was right. And, um, uh, he makes another Don Quixote reference where he's like, the windmills are giants. Uh-huh. And, and he, she's like, do you want an apology or do you want a squadron of starships? And he's like, I want a squadron and I want this. And he starts re- uh, lecturing her, and which she responds to. Uh, Dan, make a note for a bleep. Oh, okay. Oh, right, right, right. <clears throat> Shut the fuck up to Picard, which <laughs> I thought was so intense and every time somebody curses at him you just see it in his face where he's like this is unnecessary yeah which i think is kind of a mirror of like some of the criticism of the show like some people are like hey the cursing is unnecessary in the show and i think he is supposed to be the visualization of that voice right well and also they're using it very sparingly so that means they're using it for a reason in a certain scene you know and yeah. the when he went and asked for a ship and everything she was it her the same the same lady yeah. she uh, she also said the f word again in that hubris, right yeah. so she's maybe this is just for her character i don't know but i thought that was interesting yeah, uh, she's. Uh, it's very interesting, and I also think that maybe the different background of different characters goes into that. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know Clancy's backstory. She might have, in the Dominion War, been, like, in the trenches. She right. might have seen some stuff, so she might be a little more brash than Picard. Who's, right, she's not, know, like, a diplomat or anything. Most of his career, he's been cap- captaining cruise ships. You know, he's he's had like a really cushy job. Yeah. So maybe, right. you know, he's a little more posh. Um, she says that she has sent a squadron and they are going to rendezvous with him at DS-12. He does this cute little hand clap gesture, <laughs> like where he like slaps his hands. He's like, yes, finally, I've got Starfleet on board. I've got everything I want. I'm going to be re- like, my life makes sense. I have not only am I justified in everything I've done so far, like I'm going to be in command and everything's working out. But 
I think there is absolutely no way they did not send that squadron to not kill the synthetics. Right, yeah, right. It's absolutely. not for what he's doing. He's no. so excited, but there's no way they're going to give him command of the squadron. And they're going to, because Starfleet's totally different now. They're they're kind of, I don't want to say evil, but they're definitely questionable. Yeah. So they're going to show up and they're going to, they're just going to start blasting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what we learn later in this episode kind of confirms that. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> sure does. Spot on. Uh, on the bridge, Rafi is just with him and tells one of the holograms that we later find out is the navigation hologram. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yep. Enoch, uh, that Gerardi killed Maddox, and he seems to not care. Uh, the hologram tells Rafi that Rios has locked himself in the cabin, and then tells Rafi that Rios uh, knows the girl and that her name is Jana. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Mm-hmm. The hologram is overly, also overly excitable about astro navigation. He's like, ask me a question about astro navigation. <laughs> and then Rafi actually has one. She pulls out the drawings from the cube that were from Ramda, but not just Ramda. So last week when we're like, what are these drawings about? That That is what they were. Right, right. And my theory on why the other Romulans are drawing them is because when they were assimilated, there was a link between Romda and the other ones. So now they all... Oh, yeah. Oh, the collective. All of, all of those crazy Romulans that are in that room, it's all because of Romda. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know what? what she had. Hmm. The drawing almost looks like Soji's necklace as well. It kind does of, almost yeah. look like Soji's necklace. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I wonder if that's on purpose. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, the hologram says that an octanary star system is so rare uh, that the only accounts of one are an ancient Romulan star atlas. I skipped, I skipped over something. We find out that the drawings could be a star system and that when the hologram looks at views, if it was, it's going to be an octanary star system, which so is so rare that the accounts of one can only be found in ancient Romulan star atlases. Um, but there is none on a modern star chart anywhere. Crazy. Big reveal. Crazy. Uh, Rafi is very relieved. She's like, the entire time I thought the Conclave of Eight was the group of people that planned the Mars attack, but it's not. Right. Now she's convinced it's a star system. She kisses the hologram on the head and tells him that she is, he is her favorite hollow, and he makes this adorable It's hand, so cute. cute <laughs> movement where he puts his hands on his face. It was very There's anime. So much- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so. Yeah, it, it was, it's really funny. Um, <laughs> notice me, senpai. Uh, the uh, you know, there's so much going on, uh, but there's still this underlying levity of like everyone still kind of has a personality, right? And like realizes the ridiculousness of the situation they're in. <clears throat> Back on the cube, Rizzo is inspecting uh, all the dead Romulans on the ground, and he's like, and she's like. Hey, some of these were killed with a phaser. And then she discovers the Fenris Rangers calling card. And she goes, I know exactly which one is on this ship. So Rizzo definitely knows about Seven of Nine, at least her reputation. Uh, We cut to Seven and Eleanor are inside the queen cell. And Eleanor asks Seven questions about the Borg Queen. Is this where she lived? Is this where she visited? She's (laughs) like, I either have time to tell you about this or I have time to steal this cube. Which I thought was a very cool thing to say and cool thing to do. And then she goes and works her Borg magic and is like touching all the the touch screens in the air. And the cube has come to life. We see this giant arch arches of green lightning mm-hmm. going up. And then I uh, I made a note to say that this is Prime Seven of Nine. I, I am a really big Star Trek Voyager fan. 
uh, specifically seven to nine fan and the way she is standing her mannerisms the way she moves her hands her face the look on her face this is jerry ryan back in business this that's so is cool. that's seven awesome. of nine and uh any of you out there that have this emotional connection to this character you're going to start to see it more and more through this episode she is pure seven the cube on the outside starts to regenerate which I, I said previously, I'm glad we're back to seeing this because the first time we saw the Borg in the next generation, we saw the, the cube in, on the view screen of the Enterprise start to fix, fix itself. itself. Right. Yeah, and so and we what, this Sorry, time we saw like a little yeah, you were, you bunch were texting of me, Dan. Yeah. the little insect robots that looked that like, like they were and flying fixing. around inside the Borg cube, following people around and, kind and stuff. Of, you know. It looked like they were very busy at work repairing the external surface of the mm-hmm. Borg cube. It, right. Were those Borg no, insects so or what were in, those? In the, in the past, it has all been about uh, Borg nanites or nanoprobes oh. that kind of move everything together. This is invisible to the naked eye. I might add. Right. So yes. you might see a tube moving like a snake to somewhere else, but it's really the nanoprobes inside the tube doing it. Mm -hmm. This is much more on a macro scale, but as we know, the Borg are ever evolving. This might've been a technology they assimilated Mm -hmm. much like the spatial trajector. So I'm okay with any change to Borg technology, even the alcoves, you know, they used to have like that green lightning circle behind the head. Yeah. And now it's just a circle of white light and the alcoves are outlined in white, which is a little more modern looking, but I'm okay with this change in technology because the Borg are supposed to be ever evolving. Right. Right. So, yeah, but yeah, it's definitely a different kind of regeneration that you're seeing. So spot on, on calling that out. Uh, Rizzo immediately knows she needs to get rid of all the Borg that are in stasis because if the cube is regenerating the, uh, all of the Borg drones that have not yet been freed are going to. Uh, so she asks the lieutenant for suggestions and first she's like, should we burn them? Should we shoot them? What do you think we should do? I love, I just love killing. Here I go. Kill it again. Uh, and he says, actually, they could just blow them out all into space. And she goes, oh, I like that. Let's go ahead and do that. And she also says that she's going to go take care of all the XBs taking one of her lieutenant's guns says, I'm going to need this. And she's going to go killing again. Uh, <laughs> Back on the ship, uh, Picard and Soji are eating what looks like a very not modern looking picnic table, spray painted black. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, I sat at that in the fourth grade. <laughs> sure did. These picnic tables are everywhere. Uh, it's one of the few things that's like, I was okay with the escalator in Starfleet headquarters, uh-huh. but I'm not super okay with this picnic table. I'll tell you why I it was felt- okay with it. I'll tell you why. Tell me. Why? Because I feel like it's at some point, at some point, and we don't know when. Humanity will create the perfect version of whatever the thing is that it's making. Right. right? And and you will the say to yourself, chair. you'll say to yourself, you know what? The, we can do no better than this. This is perfect. So my first theory is at some point in our current present day past, we actually invented that picnic table and said, you know what? This is perfect. We don't need it to be any better. It's great. Point. And so maybe the reason that it still looks the same in the year 23, whatever, is because we, we nailed it. It works. We yeah. nailed it. If you're going to go get a paper coffee, coffee cup in the year 2350, it's probably going to look just like the same one you get from Starbucks right. now because there's no reason to change it. Theory one. Theory number two, 
is that it's actually supposed to look vintage and quaint in some way. Right. The and same like way that if you like that stuff. Yeah. Right. There, there are millennials out there right now who are antiquing and they're thinking, oh, this looks just like the, my grandmother's, my grandmother's yeah. old uh, side oh, table. Yeah. And so I'm going to get this side table. Maybe this is like a throw because he was listening to jazz that That's was uh, Billy Holiday yeah. that yeah. is dated to us. It's old to us. So if mm-hmm. they're still, if he's still listening to jazz, maybe he has a special appreciation, not only for mermaid for, for, statues for, I was gonna but, bring that up but for uh, for picnic tables and that's his like jam is to have like and like to to people in the 24th century right if you were to show up there you'd be like oh he's into like antique stuff and right. like to us you're like why it's is like this when you go to one of those there? like retro diners and they have like those chairs with that's the, like right. sparkly red Correct. like yeah Y'all have turned me around on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with all of that now. I thought I about like that a, a lot, that picnic table. And yeah, she screwed too. it up. Yeah. Oh, she did. We'll get to that, though. Um, she uh, Soji has uh, a little speech about not knowing what's real about her because he's like, do you like eggs? And she goes, I don't know if I've ever even really eaten eggs. I don't know anything that's real. Picard gives her some encouragement um, and says that you do have a past. It's just you, you have to claim it. And so Soji starts asking about data. Like, is that what you mean? He's like, partly. And data starts, uh, Picard starts describing data to her, um, saying all, all the great qualities he had. And Soji asks if you, if he loved data and he pauses and he says, I did in my own way. Very disappointing in that answer. I know. Didn't like it. I didn't seem, I didn't really? feel like really didn't Picard. Like that. I don't know. I think he would have said, yes, I did. But you know, that. I think he's uncomfortable saying it. And the, the very next thing is she asks about the reserve, the reverse. And she's like, did data love you? And he says, data's capacity for expressing and processing emotion was limited. And that's something that we have in common. Right. I think he does love data. It's just, you could see his uncomfortable. Did you love him? Uh, I yeah, sure, my way. Sure. So I think the answer is an absolutely resounding yes. He's just unable to claim that answer. It might also be because he feels very guilty about Data's death and everything. It's like, oh, if he loved me and I did and I let him, you know, put his life in front of mine, like that would make me really sad. And I can't access those emotions right now. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, almost to prove your point, Hattie, uh, a, a couple seconds later, Soji looks at Picard and says, "Data did in fact love him." Wow. I also want to point out that Data had an emotion ship, so at that point, right before Data's death, he absolutely could have experienced love. But neither here right. nor there. Had but he Clarice, removed the emotion ship at that point? Though I don't think he had it in the final movie. He sure did. Are you sure? Did, did he, he take it? it out? He took. He didn't before have he it. went and did the thing. It, he removed it, it fused to his neural net in generations. They were unable to remove it. But he we could find turn out it off? in first contact, he was able to turn it off and on. Okay. Uh, okay. So he might have had it turned off at the moment of his death, but the way, he, if you, spoiler alert, Data's dead. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the way right before Data dies, he kind of whispers goodbye. And I thought that was a really emotional thing to do. Mm. It wouldn't right. be something that an android would do. So I believe his chip was on at that moment. Why do you uh, think that she said he loved you? Do you think that's because she, like, her DNA some, was She's made connected? from his neuron. Uh-huh. I mean, we are, we are learning, especially throughout this episode, she's starting to regain memories about her past. And if she was, in a way, made from Data's neuron, uh, then she would have ha- been able to start accessing his memories. Also, maybe she feels she's feeling a love of some type for Picard and maybe and she's, she's like, projecting. if I am, then maybe data would too or something. Oh, I don't know. Man. 
Addy, it just blew my mind. What if Boom. she's projecting? Mic drop. But <laughs> when she says that, Picard's face shifts immediately from uh, almost a reciprocal love to a flash of pain that is so quick before the cut, and you can see it. So, Hattie, I think you're right. I think the guilt is holding back his yeah. emotion a lot. Yeah, like how how guilty to find the person that sacrificed himself for you, loved you so much, and you're not even able to say it back because you're so awkward. Right. <laughs> Rafi is continually looking for Rios, but runs into an emergency engineering hologram who is Scottish. <laughs> um, which is uh, uh, gr- a great throwback to Scotty. Uh, mm-hmm. which, yes. you know, maybe that's just a thing. And we we do learn in Star Trek there are a weird amount of Scottish engineers throughout the years, uh, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, all the holograms seem to have a little bit of Rios's memories as she's talking to him. Also, his Scottish accent is absurd. Yep. Absolutely absurd. It, um, so, I'm also watching Outlander right now, and uh-huh. so at, all of it was it was spot on. All the uh, he didn't can and all that stuff. It's wonderful. I thought the same thing when I was watching it. I'm like, oh, I, I, I'm familiar I with this. All yeah, this. I understand it. I was not. <laughs> um, but uh, so uh, she's digging more into him, asking questions about the star system, asking questions about Rios. Um, they kind of decide between the two of them that. The reason for an octanary star system to be existing is that it must have been built. Mm. That a species must have moved these stars. And when speculating why that would have happened, they said it would have been to get everyone's attention. What better way to get everyone in the universe's attention by making a star system that would not naturally occur? Right. It could right. never possibly occur. And that it was most likely a warning. Uh, Rafi try, goes back to her quarters because now she is starting to get really scared that like one all of her theories are starting to either come true or be worse than she thought right and two we realize she's trying to get some alcohol because she is now 48 hours into trying to sober up right uh which good for her man uh the emergency hospitality program is activated because of her distress rafi uh he lets know rafi uh he lets rafi know that when rios acquired the ship um, that he had self-scanned and basically had his personality overlaid onto the five holograms that he says that it was an accident but has never since bothered to revert it. Um, she uh, she says, so you guys are all perfect copies of him. And he says, not exactly. We're all kind of a piece. And he made some really specific deletions. Mm. We're going to cut to Rios in his quarters and he looks pretty rough. Yeah. He's, he's kind of stumbling and falling. The bottles rolling around that he's drinking. He looks at a case with a Starfleet insignia, uh, which is every single case we ever see in the Starfleet universe is a, is a music case, by the way. They're all like SKG. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> exact same latch. They're all made of hard plastic. Uh, but it's that case with a Starfleet uniform on, uh, insignia on it. He opens it. Inside, we see his uniform from when he was a commander. And it's the same kind of uniform that we see 14 years earlier, that Picard, Admiral Picard style uniform, not the present day ones. And then he opens, he uh, picks up a cigar box. Uh, Rafi tries to interrupt him by calming his um his door and he says hey piss off i'm busy he finally opens the scar box inside are his com badge some pips some pictures some mementos a miniature skull of some kind which i do not recognize yeah. if someone out there knows what the skull is please 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 let us know um uh but then he picks up take up a picture of him and a captain who we don't know who it is yet but has captain's pip, uh, captain pips 
uh, and Rios is much, much younger in the picture and most importantly looks happy. We very rarely, rarely see him. I know. So happy. He then pulls out a drawing and we see it from the opposite side, but pretty clearly. And on one half of this sketch on a piece of paper is definitely Soji. Yep, for sure. Yeah, 100%. no doubt about it. And uh, yeah. who was the other one in A Beautiful Flower? Oh, well, right. yeah. But the person on the sketch, I believe, is, was, is him. Yeah. yeah, it's like him sitting like, with. Beautiful Flower sketched out this picture right. of right. Soji and uh, Rios. Also mm-hmm. kind of a, a head nod to um, to Data's artistic uh, oh yeah, and I'll what say. what have we been talking about this whole season? Beautiful yep. flowers. Flowers. How did I not put that together? Hey. Ah. Also, Dan, you pointed out about the cigars. Mm-hmm. You said those are actually you knew the name of the cigar. Oh and yeah, yeah, Romeo and Julieta. This is a wonderful cigar. I'll put a link to that. Um, uh, Romeo and Julieta cigars are very very good. Uh, it is really really some of the best cigars actually um they are there are two brands of this now there's cuban ones which i'm sure is what he was smoking since the embargo of cuban stuff is probably gone and yeah i think 23 so. <laughs> whatever um but uh i'll put a link to this these are these are really great cigars and i recognize the cigar box and i, I it was weird to me though because i was like do you would we still have that like exact, cigar boxes yeah. that look exactly like they but like you today. said, he's into vintage stuff. Yeah. Also, he had so many mermaid statues in his room. And I want to know why. Yeah, me too. Is it kind of like, oh, pirate, space pirate, you know, kind yeah. of rebel? I, like I don't that. know. I don't know what the, the mermaids um, were for. So, Dan, you're a cigar aficionado. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any of those cigars? Uh, like currently, no. Okay. I've had many. And you can do get, you you think, can get them. Yeah, Sam, do you think by the last episode you could get your hands on three of them and then as a celebration <laughs> the three of us could smoke these cigars? Absolutely. No, Consider it done. No no problem. I don't know if you're being facetious or not, but I'm going to take that as... <laughs> I'm telling you no problem proof. is what I'm okay. saying. All right. Uh, cut to Rios and his piss off. Okay. <clears throat> now we're back on the board cube and Seven is trying to figure out what to do. She tells Eleanor... That there are thousands uh, on board on the cube that she could wake up, um, but without a collective, they'd be very aimless. And we've seen this happen specifically on Voyager when a group of Borg is marooned on a planet with being cut to the collective. They start looking at themselves and they're like, "Oh my God, what am I?" <laughs> right? They 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 becomes a little bit more sentient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, they're like first they try searching out the collective and almost like in a hue kind of way, uh-huh. but more like oh my god, I've woken up and I'm a monster. Uh, she says she could create a micro collective just on the cube by like uh, networking all of them. And then when Eleanor is like, yeah, why don't you do that? She gets very distraught. She goes, you want me to assimilate them? Uh, which and I thought Ryan, was weird like, that oh. she got <laughs> so defensive for an option that she brought up, but that kind of speaks more to her analytical mind as she's trying to work through everything. She's like, uh, you know, it would suppress them. It would be enslaving them. And Eleanor says, well, you can just release them right after we win. Um, and she says, they won't want to be released. And then very emotionally yeah. composes herself and says, I might not want to release them. At what which point I stand up in my living room and <laughs> scream so loud my dog runs and hides under the dining room table. 
I am screaming because this can only mean one thing by saying I don't want to release them that seven of nine is about to become a Borg queen. Right. Which signifies the first time I have had a theory about this show and it has been correct. The very first time with episode eight. And I am excited about that. <clears throat> so Back tell me, tell to, huh. for, for those of us who have not seen a lot of Voyager and who maybe have only seen TNG and, and the movies, what does it tell us what a little more of like entail? the backstory? Okay. What does it entail? What does it so, mean? Because I, I thought to myself, well, to do that, she's going to obviously have to become the board queen. One of yeah. the questions Hattie asked me, and I think my son also said is, wait a second. Is there more than one board queen? I thought there was just one. And so this so, is also a question I have for you. They're in a very insectoid. Like, so, you know, when you kill the queen of a colony of insects, mm-hmm. most species will just make a new one. Like their memories and their information is a hive mind and it is networked. So killing a Borg queen only kills a drone and her personality is just going to be downloaded directly into a new drone, oh. female drone, and she'll just be the next Borg queen. Right. So at least that's how I understand it. I, I, I will say this is never specifically been stated out but enough novels have talked about this and i'm I'm a big fan of that but because we've seen a board queen travel back in time and be killed by jean-luc picard in first contact and then in voyager there there she is again not the same actress but the same entity of the board queen and because every cube has a queen cell uh I have to imagine that at any point if a board queen dies another ship can just create a new board queen right that makes sense. Now, in this now, case, because queen, she was she was so closed off and disconnected from the collective, it wasn't like there was any risk of a Borg queen downloading into her. But she right. had to sort of become a queen by right. being connected up that way. So she is now part of the hive mind. But at the same time, because she is the queen, she has a personality still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. It is not the personality of Seven of Nine. It is a new personality. But it is an amalgamation of the hive mind and seven of nine together. Interesting. <clears throat> and we see that a little bit later. So back on the uh, back on the ship on the La Serena. Ra- uh, did I answer the question enough? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Rafi is sat down with all five emergency holograms in the study. <laughs> it's the best. Uh, probably one of the best scenes of the show so far. Uh-huh. We have five versions of Rios with five different accents or languages. Um, there's a lot of levity in this situation. She's like, maybe this wasn't the best idea, but I'm trying to take all these five pieces of Rios and figure out exactly what happened and why he's seen Soji before. They're all trying to figure out what is going on. And they can all agree that this has to do with his time on the Ibn Majid, which is the ship that he was the commander of. And the captain, we find out the one in the picture was his captain by the name of captain Alonzo Vandermeer. Yeah, the tactician hologram mimes that Vandermeer shot himself in the head in front of Rios, and they all kind of take a minute to absorb that. And then we find out that Rios was discharged from Starfleet after having a mental breakdown, having witnessed this happen. Mm. Rafi is desperately trying to piece together more of the story. Um, And then we also find out that the Scottish engineer is, in fact, a fraud Scott, that some of the stuff he's saying does make sense and some of it doesn't. Oh, (laughs) Uh, in the sick bay of the last surrender, this is when we start doing crazy cuts at this point, where we're just bouncing from storyline to storyline. So we'll, 
we'll just uh, stick in there. In the sick bay, uh, the last around up, Picard is confronting Gerardi. There's a stern face on. He's waking her up. He sure he sure is. She's about to be woke. Uh, he tells her <laughs> that when they arrive at D Space Nine, she will surrender herself to the authorities for the murder of Bruce Maddox. She tearfully agrees. Picard asks why she did it, and Gerardi tells him all about the mind meld with O. Apparently, the Commodore also put in a psychic block inside Gerardi's head to keep her from talking about it, that she doesn't want to fight. She doesn't want to talk about it. And then Gerardi asks Picard if he believes in hell. And this is one of the biggest things I think has ever happened in Star Trek because it it kind of something that I've always thought about is kind of uh, acknowledged. Picard's face when she says, do you believe in hell, is one of disbelief almost amusement and pity almost like you saying you still believe in santa claus right or the right. easter bunny there is a condescension to his face that we have never seen before and i think it is highly highly unlikely there is a concept of heaven and hell to human beings at this point mm-hmm. i think that any connection to religions for human beings are most likely ceremonial right and not grounded in faith they have very been careful to lightly touch on this and and any other Star Trek property because it's not always popular to say like oh we've grown up and now we're all atheists you know you're gonna alienate a lot of your audience but right. I think right. that there is and especially him looking at her like you're a woman of science I'm an archaeologist right. like there is no way and this to me was monumental and I stopped and I watched that little exchange probably ten times rewinding and playing and that's something that has been stuck in my head all along because they say things like god damn it or like you know go to hell but i do believe that human beings at this point are the vast majority at least are atheists Hmm. that's an Uh, interesting theory thank you uh she (laughs) takes the meaning of his face and says neither do i until i saw it saying that she has seen a literal hell happen uh through this what she refers to as poison being poured into her hell into it into her head uh, and she thinks about killing herself to comfort herself. Gerardi, uh, Gerardi discusses that what you uh, all about what she saw through the admonishment through Ke- Commander O's head. And at some point, there is a threshold in the evolution of synthetic beings that is culminating. But she's cut off by Soji, who walks in and says, "It's culminating in the coming of the Destroyer, me." Yeah. Rafi breaks into Rios's quarters. <laughs> With Rios in it, uh, is looking around. She's you know very worried about the state of him. Looks at the record player and asks if that was Vandermeer's Walkman, which I <laughs> thought was really cool. Yeah. So you know has a very base knowledge of old of old Earth stuff, tech, <laughs> but you know thinks a record player is a Walkman. Um, and then he says that he thought of Vandermeer very much as his father. You know, very secretly has never said it, but in his right. head referred to him as pops, um, which is kind of heartbreaking. Back to sickbay. Gerardi is asking Soji a bunch of insulting questions. She yeah, says, I didn't like that either. I was like, I, I would be kind of insulted. <laughs> yeah. Like now, if Soji was proud of being an android, that'd be one thing. But she's still freaked out and she's trying to get through what she is. And she's uh, Gerardi's like, do you sleep? <laughs> she goes, yeah, like, you sleep every night. That's so cool. Uh, and like, do you eat? Uh, and then like, you know, it gets to the point where she's like, I drink, you know, so she's like, I drink when I'm thirsty and she starts crying. She goes, that's a miracle. 
Uh, back in Rios's quarters, he's telling the story of when he was a commander under Vandermeer on the Ibn Majid, and that they came in contact with what they thought was a new species and two people aboard a ship they didn't recognize. They contacted right. Starfleet and said, "Hey, we have a new con. We have a, uh, a first contact and sends them information." And then they bring aboard the ambassador, whose name was Beautiful Flower, like Dan said, and his young protege named Jana, who looks exactly like Soji. Right. Mm. Back in sick bay, Gerardi is now discussing Soji's physical features, uh, which is also insulting, and says, "You have, you know, beauty marks, and this is artistry, and uh, it's a very weird scene." Uh, but Soji's indulging her more than I think she should have. Yeah. And reveals that she also has a mole on her chest and a crooked pinky toe. And Gerardi says that she is a wonder and a technological masterpiece and a work of art. But Soji then takes a turn and says to Gerardi, am I a person? Right, because that's actually right. what She's matters. Like, to you right now, am I a person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rios is telling the story uh, of the ambassador. And then they all sat down to dinner and it had been a couple hours. And then the captain leaves for a second, comes back and shoots both Janna and Beautiful Flower to death. We're back in sick bay. Soji asks Gerardi again, not in a theoretical way, not in a di- an academic way. She asks Gerardi, do you consider me to be a person like you? Back in Rios's quarters, he says it was a black flag directive from Starfleet Intelligence. Then said that if the captain did not shoot the two ambassadors, that Starfleet would have the entire ship destroyed with all hands. Yeah. Uh, pause. Holy crap. <laughs> directive from Starfleet that says if you do not murder these two people immediately. We'll murder you. We will murder you from right. Starfleet. Right. Rios confronts the captain about this because he's still bushy-tailed and wide-eyed. And the captain pulls out his phaser, puts it in his mouth, and pulls the trigger and kills himself. Crazy. Uh, I also made a note to say why does the phaser have a trigger. But because most of them that we've seen at this point have buttons but i've said i will say that the phasers we've seen so far do seem to kind of be like the old original series style and they all do seem to have triggers of some kind i just think it's weird they went back to that <clears throat> to save the lives of everybody on the ibn majid rios covers it up he beams all the bodies into space space and told the, the fleet that the captain had killed himself in front of him for no reason Six months later, he was drummed out of Starfleet for having post-traumatic dysphoria. The sketch was made by Beautiful Flower while they were all having dinner. Rio shows Raffi the sketch and has confirmed 100% that it is Soji and that they were synths. Boom. I know. Truth bomb. Big bomb. There there are more synths and there were synths around that looked like Soji from before Soji was born. So then how would Data have done the painting of her? We don't know. Hopefully they, they figure that out later. Soji asked uh, Gerardi if Commodore O also told uh, Gerardi to kill her and, and as well as Maddox. And um, Soji kind of acknowledges that, yes, it was, but says that she wouldn't do it anymore. And Soji gets real defensive and says, I would never give you the opportunity. And Gerardi re, uh, re, re, restates, I would never, ever kill you now that I met you. Uh, and I kind of think that's not true yeah i still can't really trust her no i think that she is dealing with a lot of post-traumatic stress herself that that mind meld really screwed her up and just the fact that there were psychic blocks in her head to stop her from talking maybe there's another one that activates her in a weird way right like or she'll just have a momentary lapse in judgment i still wouldn't turn my back on gerardi yeah no 
back on the cube, Rizzo is laying waste to the XBs, just walking in rooms and kill, 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 kill. <laughs> and the Queen Cell 7 can see the Borger being killed because they're all kind of like tracked. Um, so she, in that moment, decides, okay, I'm going to interface. She gets back um, into the little control area. On the deck, Rizzo says something that something much, much worse than Borger coming if she fails. Um, so she is like completely justified in killing all these guys back in the queen cell screaming at this point at the top of my lungs because these tentacles come (laughs) down and snap into seven's implants in her spine through her jacket her eyes go black her pupils go green and she says we are bored right so good she said so often on voyager while she was disconnecting from the collective um and right at this moment uh, when all the alcoves are, are just about to come to life, the Romulans blow the hatches, and all of the thousands of Stasis Borg are blown into space. Aww. I was very all sad four. to see them yeah. all going out they there in mass like, like that. Yeah. I really did think we were going to get to see a Queen 7 of 9 controlling an army of Borg, but this was probably a good thing, because again, if she didn't have the power of the collective behind her, maybe she might not have wanted to give it up. Right. We don't know. Uh, on the last Serena, Gerardi comes out of sick bay and is kind of being helped by Soji. So I guess they're best friends now. Uh, <laughs> and says, I'm done murdering people. So that's a good thing. <clears throat> End quote. <laughs> she, she reconfirmed that she will turn herself into the th- authorities as soon as they get the DS-12. And then now all five of these people are sitting at the picnic table. Um we see Rios gets up and goes to the replicator and comes back with peppermint ice cream and French fries and gives it the Soji. She asks, how did you know I would like that? And he's like, we'll get to there. We'll get to that. Right. And they all piece it together. Rafi is now we're going to start learning the entire story. Everything has been pieced together. Rafi says between 200 and 300,000 years ago, somebody drags eight suns together into a star system and put a little planet in the middle. And on that planet, uh, they put a warning called the admonition. The warning says, don't let synthetic life forms exist because they will kill you. Right. They will evolve to the point where they no longer need you. Rios likens this to Zephyrin Cochran and the warp drive that once you show that you have this power, someone's going to show up. Mm-hmm. Like you are part of a bigger world. The admonition obviously has some sort of psychotic effect when you touch it. Uh, and the Romulans take this warning way too seriously and create the Jat Vash because of it. The group designed, uh, dedicated to killing all synthetic life. When Noonien Sung starts creating androids, the Jat Vash realize that Starfleet's going to be the next people that start employing synthetic life the most. So they get a half uh, Klingon, a Klingon, oh my God, somebody slapped me, a half Romulan, half Vulcan named O, and they put her into Starfleet. She's a half breed. She's a half. Okay, so She's- I think that confirms maybe the sunglasses. That's what I said. Yeah. I said the sunglasses yeah. make sense because we yeah, don't they do. know what So we weren't, we weren't wrong. On. I mean, in the beginning, we were saying we think she's Romulan. Right. We kind of called it. she was, but yeah. she was. Yeah. I mean, in a way, she's both Romulan and, and Vulcan, and that she was is. very interesting. And, you know, with as close as those two species are, yeah. um, it, it, it would make sense that it would be possible to pass yourself off mm-hmm. as the one or the other she definitely looks like she could be Vulcan. Um, you know, it was just very interesting to me, the whole scene on that planet, 
because I'm assuming she had gone through the process right. at some sure. point and survived well, yeah, she it. must have if she mind-melded the same vision onto Gerardi. Exactly. And so what I'm thinking is that if you go through that process, no matter what, it changes you. Yeah. Uh, it certainly oh, changes definitely. you at, at a fundamental level of how your brain works. If If you don't go crazy, don't kill yourself, but survive, well, then perhaps you're left with a very clear vision of what you need to do. And Gerardi had that of like, I need to do this. And so did Rizzo when she touched the thing. She's like, okay, how do we go get him? Right, like right away. It's like, that's her mission in life now. And so, you know, it seems like most Romulans have a bad attitude, but Rizzo has an especially bad attitude even compared to the other bad Romulans. <laughs> right. Yeah, compared and so, to her brother. Yeah. And so it seems like maybe the reason for why she's the way she is is because of this experience that she went to. Hattie, what do you think? Oh, I yeah. think I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. There's there's some notes to talk about this. So one, it also speaks to why Narek is not as hardcore as Rizzo. Right. Because he can only be a Tal Shiar if the Jat Vash are all women. But so he's working for the Jat Vash, but he's just Tal Shiar. Ah. Um there is an episode of Next Generation where we have someone who claims to have of a slight Vulcan ancestry in Starfleet, but then is revealed to have a Romulan ancestry and that ends his career. He has no clandestine motives, but during like basically uh it's i believe the episode's called the drumhead someone let me know if i'm wrong uh but they're they're searching for a conspiracy on the enterprise and the only thing they can find of any wrongdoing is that this met the basically this young medical ensign or crewman uh it has romulan blood and it was never caught in screenings because they're almost so identical um another thing is we've almost seen this plot line before in an episode of star trek voyager there's an episode of voyager where voyager goes to a planet and everyone who like is on it kind of has this psychic vision that sticks with them and they're almost forced to relive a war that's been happening over and over and over again inside people's minds and the planet is lifeless but this technology was left there as a warning for other species not to have war basically right now a question i have about this and there's we don't seem to really know anything at all about uh about this sure but on this planet, which is ancient, yep. there's this warning. What's the point of the warning killing people and driving them nuts? I, mean, I don't think it was supposed to. I think that because two or 300,000 years ago, I think it worked differently for that species and they they might not know it would have an adverse effect on other species. Right. Maybe they were like more powerful or stronger or like mentally more equipped to handle something that's that traumatic, but weak weaker species can't or right so when we interface right. with this alien technology you know 90 percent chance it drives us completely crazy right 10 percent chance we survive what happened in voyager is like this this probe or this thing that happened on the planet that is making people relive this war it wasn't supposed to affect you so hardcore they oh. just didn't know right Okay. You know, and uh, two or three hundred. There's also another TNG episode where we found out that most of the species are from one progenitor. Species. I remember right. that. Yeah, I remember yeah, that I don't one. Remember what I'm talking about. So along that timeline, there might not have been a lot. Two, two, three, two hundred, three hundred thousand years ago, there may not be that many spacefaring species. You know, it's only been a couple hundred years that humans had gone out. And because of Star Trek Enterprise, we know that it was 
not a lot of other people had been out in space for longer. So right. maybe they didn't know how many other species there would be or, or how different biologically they would have been from them. So there's that. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, there's a lot there. All right. What I leave in my notes, I went off on a tangent. <clears throat> we find out that O orchestrated the attack on Mars herself. So I don't believe it really was. They keep saying the Romulans did it, but it wasn't. It was a very small Faction. pack of zealots. Right. It's like saying if if Westboro Baptist Church blew up a bridge, it'd be like saying, oh, my God, the Christians blew up a bridge. Right, <laughs> right. You'd be like, right. actually. Small, <laughs> tiny little sect. Um, and I would guess so, that anyone outside of that sect had no idea that it was going even on happening, either. Right. No, of course not. The Romulans aren't willing to sacrifice their entire species right. just so that there's not androids. Uh, Soji seems to start already knowing things. She already knows the story of the two emissaries from the synthetic world. The more that is being released, the more she is starting to remember. Uh, the synthetic world is the world that Bruce Maddox fled to. Uh, and this, um, uh, I also think that this, hold on with my note here and maybe then destroy the answer. Oh yeah. I think that whatever synthetics are on this world have been there for a really long time and that they are probably the people that destroyed the people from the eight, uh, from the eight star system. Oh, world. okay. That's what I think. Yeah. Uh, the, the Romulans, uh, have been searching for this world and have known that it has existed, um, maybe because of Zoji, maybe not because they said that they've been looking for her for a long time even though she's only been around for three three years. So that was kind of like a, pl a plot flaw that is now coming together. Right. Soji's very, very upset that now they know where the world is because of her. And she gets really upset. She smashes the picnic table. So there's a big old dent in it, which is sad because now apparently we like it. Uh, she gets up and walks away and goes to the bridge of the La Serena, where she has used force fields to lock herself in and is tapping into Rios' systems and is saying... We're going to the world. We're going to... I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there, but I got to go see gotta go everyone. Home. <clears throat> got to get there. Uh, so she sets course to a Borb transwarp conduit, which these are subspace tunnels that you that are you you can't see unless you get very close to them and send out a very specific signal to open them. Uh, and you typically need a transwarp drive, but I guess Soji knows how to get around that. And this is why the Borg, one of the many reasons why the Borg are so terrifying is because they can kind of show up anywhere, even though they're, they're based in another quadrant of space, you know, 80 years away from Earth. <clears throat> uh, I already lost my place again. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I think Soji was moving the um, all the stuff around on the screen and Rios right. is standing behind the thing. He's like, how do you know how to do that? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so uh, Soji says she memorized the map of the transwarp conduits while she was on the board cube. She's being flooded with memories at this point. She refers to the emissaries as her brother and sister, which I thought was pretty cool. And at this point, Rios sings a lullaby to the ship, which shuts down all the command functions, which I thought was pretty cool. It's I loved that ingrained in like the the base program of the ship to stop anybody else from taking it over that he didn't want to have happen. As they they are kind of arguing amongst themselves, Picard shows up. He interrupts, says, "We've tried it. You know, other people's way. We've tried it my way. Let's do this Soji's way." He heroically finally sits in the captain's chair and says, we're going to set a course to the transport kind of what we're going to do this, but uh, realizes he does not know how to fly the ship. He doesn't know how to use these interfaces. He gets I loved up, that part. <laughs> loved it. Rio sits back in his captain's chair 
Um, he also points out that, hey, without special shielding, the transport conduit would tear the ship apart. So, you know, maybe we need to work together for this to work. Rios, or Soji looks at Rios and says, please take me home for Jana's sake, which I think was the most emotionally manipulative but brilliant yeah. thing to say in that moment. Uh, he pauses for a minute, looks at her and says, I got you. Then he grabs the controls and they leave towards the transwarp conduit. The Romulans are now leaving the Borg cube. Back on the Borg cube, they're just blowing dodge. A whole Romulan fleet has shown up at this point, too, to join the ships that are leaving the cube. Uh, Rizzo is talking to her, her lieutenant, um, says, yes, every Borg drone has been jettisoned. Uh, all the former Borg XBs will be mopped up within the next hour. As the conversation is happening in the background, the Borg are killing Romulans very sneakily. Yes, uh, I love that. And she's like talking to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> and they just start disappearing. She turns around, and starts shooting them, shooting them, but they are dispassionate and they are just steadfast and they are just walking towards her and they start grabbing at her and they like a horror movie, pull her down to the ground and she transports out. Um, just in the nick of time before she's killed. You know what? That um, reminded me of your theory, Keith, that like she might even have a thing that's, you know, if she's close to being killed, that she just zaps out to the nearest, you know, She definitely thing. has a personal transport yeah. device somehow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Seven is in queen mode. I think the most likely thing is that because former Borg can still hear Borg voices in their head, she is like sending directives to them somehow yeah right, that right. they're not assimilated because she's like hey they're gonna they're they're trying to kill y'all you better go get them uh she's in queen mode still and says the cube is ours again now she could be saying ours is in me and all the xbs or ours is in a royal way because that's the way borg speak right right El- eleanor looks at her very uh inquisitively maybe a little trepidatious says am i going to be assimilated now <laughs> and the queen just looks at her and goes Annika still has work to do mm. and then disconnects uh, screaming because Annika, of course, is Seven's name and said and she is a different person when she's in queen mode. She says this part of me, this other consciousness still has work to do disconnects. Um, and then uh, you can just see how like, emo- the emotional affectation this had mm-hmm. on her. To uh, the back on- oh, my God. Yeah. Back on the last run of Picard uh, is on the bridge. Uh, Rios is in the captain's seat. Picard's looking out into space. There's no one else around. And he talks about his time being an ensign on the Reliant. Says that he misses the feeling of being the only one awake in the emptiness of space. Uh, Picard starts talking about Vandermeer and says that he knew him slightly through his friend, Captain uh, Marta Batanides. Batanides? Batanides? Doesn't matter. And... um, (laughs) Rio says that to Vandermeer, Captain Marta was a legend. Does anyone know who Marta is? Because I got real excited. No. No. Do you remember the episode where Q sends Picard back in time after dying, after being stabbed through his heart? Yes. And he (gasps) stops himself from being stabbed and then ends up being a lieutenant on the Enterprise and then says, Q, send me back. And he makes sure he gets stabbed through the heart so he gets his fake heart. Right, right. Marta is his friend that he sleeps with. Is, is oh, the, the really? girl that he likes. Yeah, it's the girl that he was in love oh, with. Went there back you and go. slept with her, but Very then woke nice. up next to Q. Very That's nice. her. And they said it, and everything about this episode was so great. <clears throat> uh, Vandermeer, uh, they, they, they kind of talk amongst themselves about Vandermeer. Uh, says, ver- uh, he was the first officer to Marta before he got a command of his own. Rio speculates that Vandermeer knew that the emissaries were synthetic and thought that that might help him 
be able to live with it, but he just couldn't, and that's why he killed himself, especially after being pushed by his first officer, who he probably thought of as a son. Uh, Picard gives a lecture to Rios about uh, Starfleet didn't betray Vandermeer. He betrayed that they betrayed everyone. Right. The betrayal of Starfleet started with the band and they shouldn't have been able to do that. And they have to get Starfleet back on track. Rios has some trepidation about the whole planet of synthetics because he saw Soji was able to hack his ship in five minutes and so easily. Uh, But Picard gives him a a good, I call it a goodness lecture, says we have the tools. (laughs) We have, you know. Goodwill towards men and the, the love of Christmas, you know, like all the all good things on earth. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> um, and that fear is the real enemy here. Soji comes onto the bridge and says that they are uh, at the transwarp conduit. She pulls out the compass that Kestra gave her and it points to the conduit. And I have no idea why. <laughs> right. I, I was thinking it points home. You know, I, something I, like I that. Guess. I don't know. Maybe it's like the compass from Pirates of the Caribbean. Of <laughs> right. Really want. Right. It always uh-huh. it points where you must go. Yeah, uh, everyone looks at Picard. He nods, and they fly into the transwarp conduit. And that is episode eight. <sighs> wow. Well, and then Keith, you you forgot one very small detail right at the very Did end. Did I forget a detail? What I forget? Very small. Right when they go through the the thing, a little oh ship. Oh my god! Flips. I forgot. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Yes. And yes. and zaps right in right behind him. So we have to assume it's Narek. I'm going right? to say it's Narek. Yeah. He somehow found them. I don't. Maybe he was like. Maybe he was like. I think Soji would be smart enough to use this conduit in order to get home. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just park myself here. And then when I see them, then I'll just go into or something. And you're saying know. that he could have somehow found because yeah, because Keith know. was saying that the only way to find those I know, is, is if with you have Borg a, technology I know, I don't know. or knowledge. Maybe after. No, no, no. So you have to know where it is. Right. Like on a grid. So if you're Maybe he knew. Fine. Maybe he but knew. To, but to open it, you need to know what you're doing and then to survive the, the force of right. it inside, the sheer forces. But we know that Narek's ship is like specifically reinforced and overpowered. So maybe his shields are just real good. Yeah, we'll see how or that maybe goes. Maybe he'll, he'll, he'll come out all damaged on the other end. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he maybe won't even make it through. We don't know. We got a good tweet um, when you said uh, Kestra that reminded me. A really good tweet that we, um, we did not uh, say last time. That Kestra is the name of Troy's sister who died when she was young. I was like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that. And yeah. I thought that was great that Love Riker it. and her used the name Kestra. I didn't even know that. I that's know. way That's beyond my knowledge. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Well, what are your predictions for next week, y'all? Well, I mean, I, I do not predict. I think w- now... Right. I was going to, I asked you, Dan, and I think I'll ask you too, Keith. What are your predictions for how this season's going to end? Are we going to, oh, right. Are we going to get a full wrap up of absolutely everything and the next season will be something completely different? Or do you think this is kind of a big overarching issue and we like, this is only like phase one of learning what happened with the synths and stuff? My gut says they probably wrote this to be a self contained season. Because they didn't know that they were going to do a season two until after season one was already created. Not released, but until it was created. But I do feel like we are going to see this Starfleet Starfleet squadron show up. Because Picard's not going to meet them at DS-12 now. He has left. He's gone to the synth world. I think they're going to show up at the synth world, guns blazing. And I do not think we're going to get a Picard resolution at all yet. 
Okay, yeah. Dan. So- I, I agree. I think I think that this is a uh, self-contained season. I think that the I would like to see something where at the end of the season, Soji joins Picard's little motley crew. And she's and the is, new data. She's the new Android Aww, data. That would be great. Along with everyone else that we see right now, including Jurati. That yeah. Jurati does not turn herself her herselves <laughs> her, herself in. Uh, because they find that it's not necessary because Commander O is brought to justice at the and end maybe, of it. Or if Commander O dies, then maybe the blocks would leave the Jurati blocks or leave. something. She I can know. talk about it. Commander O is is captured and Jurati is blameless, etc. Uh, she's kind of a Manchurian candidate if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not the Manchurian candidate's fault. I'm here to fault. I'm here to tell you. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a completely self-contained. I mean, what happens in this season will definitely determine what happens in the next season. Right. But I do not think it will be a continuation of the same of story. Of like Soji and yeah. the synths So I'm, and stuff. I'm kind of in agreement yeah, with, with I that. Agree. I agree. I'm um, going to guess right now that the last shot of this season will be the five of them on the La Serena yeah. warping off. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that idea. And I hope that that's what happens. All right. Yeah. I don't have any other predictions no. or anything. No. But uh, we would like to hear your predictions, listeners. Yeah, we do. So uh, Picard at 5x5.tv or go to uh, picard.fireside.fm and click contact and type it away, type away whatever it is that's on your mind. We truly must hear from you. And we need uh, to. Keep, keep sharing those reviews. Keep adding your reviews and ratings on iTunes. They're super helpful. Super helpful. Helps people find the show. And you know what? I have to point out. This show eventually will find its way onto Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime Pica- the or Picard. the Picard. I mean, well, Star Trek not our Picard. show. I was going to say ours, <laughs> I, but but uh, Star Trek Picard. And and when that happens, more people will say, "Well, I want to listen to a podcast." And so about your it. your votes tell those new people right. that this is worth listening. This to. show isn't just for us. This show is a time capsule for the future. This podcast will go with that show into the future. And so your ratings and reviews really do help in the long run and become a part of history. Why not become part of history and have your uh, email read right on, on the, the show? show because the show will review. last forever. We won't, but the show will. Yeah. And, and, and so do that. It's almost like we dragged eight planet, eight suns together. You That's know? right. That's it. Yes. Hattie. <laughs> My gosh, you're on fire today. And the pizza table is this podcast. Wow. Yes. Boom. We are the admonishment. <laughs> so thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter if you want to follow us there. Hattie Bird is at H-A-D-D-I-E Bird. That's Hattie me. Bird. I'm at Dan Benjamin and Keith Ruckus. Is, is just, Keith Ruckus. Is Keith Ruckus. Just the That's way right. you think it's spelled. That's how no, it's spelled. No, it's K-E-I-T-H. Oh, <laughs> right. yes. I-E. Uh-huh. Sir. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We will see you all next week.